Hi, and welcome back to another episode of uh, Voices. This is the Voices Voices.network, and uh, this is episode 13, Occupy Red Herring is the title for this show. Uh, red Herring is a diversion, something to make you look in the wrong direction. Um, there'll be a link up that kind of talks about what a red herring is, and I think you'll see by the time we finish this show how that kind of fits on several different levels. Our uh, guest, Sam, could you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, I'm with the Institute for Public Accuracy. Uh, people can see our material, um, news releases on different issues at accuracy.org. Um, I also do writing that appears on my blog as well as um, the Horfim News. And I also set up the webpage vote pack that maybe we'll get into later that might offer some solutions. Oh, that sounds great. Uh I just I'd seen some of your stuff with Consortium News, and I'd like to talk a little bit about a little bit more about Consortium in the last 20 minutes. Uh, but there, you you just finished on February 15th uh, an article for Consortium Progressives pile on Flynn's ouster. Um, there were a couple of tweets. I think you put the tweets out even prior to finishing that article up or before it was posted. Um, but I was wondering if you could, uh, I had sent a tweet responding to one that you had said, deep state versus elected constitutional government. And it's kind of a, the link will be there and there's a drill down. Uh, when it got to the article that was being talked about, there was a quote out of it that was really interesting and kind of is the whole point to what we're talking about. Um, quote, selectively discussing details of private conversations monitored by the FBI or NSA gives the permanent state the power to destroy reputations from the cloak of anonymity. This is what police states do. And you're, uh, you were responding to, and, I, and I, I really found it interesting, you were talking about how unusual uh, that particular tweet was coming from somebody that was kind of a neocon or coming out of the neocon right. position. Your your response to his article. <clears throat> what's what's crazy is a neocon ends up benefiting. It was a decent piece, and you were reacting to uh, another tweet. Can you kind of talk about that a minute? And uh, what do you see that the? It's really an interesting kind of a political spectrum. It's not the way it used to be. I guess that's the way you're seeing it now too. Um, yeah, somewhat. I mean. I think there are a lot of layers to, to what's happening here, and one of them is that uh, Trump is sort of simultaneously using the language of anti-interventionism, um, but also sort of being militaristic, um, and so that that's leading to you know what, what seems like a series of contradictions throughout the political spectrum, um, and. Um, I think different people have tried to point this out, uh, myself, in different ways, Glenn Greenwald and uh, 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 Justin Romando over at antiwar.com. But it was just funny that of all of the people who were noting the contradictions of the mainstream critique of Trump, um, that that is that basically Flynn was brought down, apparently, by leaks that showed that he apparently didn't tell the truth about his contacts with Russia, with Russian officials. But, you know, he was only talking to Russian officials, apparently, to ease relations, which presumably is a good thing. Um... And, you know, there are a lot of people in the establishment who want an increase of tensions um, than possibly worse with Russia. And I, I think that that can be very dangerous and very destructive. Um, so it was just ironic to me that uh, what ended up happening was that Trump would pick Eli Lake, basically a neocon, or at least very closely allied with neocons, the sort of constant interventionist types that, were sort of the tip of the spear in doing the Iraq war, um, that he would pick him, of all people, um, 
to, you know, uh, say, oh, yeah, this was a good piece. Well, there were several good pieces out there, and it was funny that that Trump would pick would pick that one. Um, so that, that, that's what I was getting at with with that exchange. But I think, you know, they're just uh, an enormous amount to unwind here that you have people who are so-called liberals and so-called progressives that seem to be attempting to demonize um, Russia, the other major nuclear power um, in the world at the risk of escalating things. Um, And I think that that's extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, You have a lot of people who are ostensibly part of the peace movement or anti-war movement that I think have been so sucked into their raw, visceral hatred mm-hmm. of Trump that they, you know, aren't asking for evidence uh, about what allegedly illegal activities took place between Trump's people and Russia. And um, I think it's been really, really disruptive. Um, I think that we should be very critical of Trump, but it should be based on evidence and, you know, people should be abiding by their presumed principles of um, wanting peace and wanting the rule of law and um, and, and, and so on. I'm, I'm not a defender of Trump. I'm very critical of him in a number of ways, which we can get into. But I, I do think that, um, that a lot of the, 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 the so-called critics who are getting the most uh, media attention um, are, um, are are doing some destructive things, and there's kind of a weird, you know, di- you know, non-dialogue between Trump and the rest of the establishment that, in effect, ends up constricting um, debate, you know, between so that you know debate can only take place between Trump and the New York Times, and you know, other voices are marginalized. Uh, I, I think that the election between Trump and Clinton was dominated by fear, fear and mm-hmm. hatred. That so many people voted for Trump because they hated and feared Clinton, and so many people voted for Clinton because they hated and feared Trump. And I think the same dynamic is continuing, except now that Clinton's out. It's basically the, the establishment media that's taken that place. Um, and so there, there's this... Um, very destructive back and forth that's going on between the establishment media and Trump, although it's, it, I think it's destructive for the world and for the country, but I think it's actually constructive for each of them. They, they get to play off their enemy. You know, uh, the, the, the establishment media get to be, you know, poster boys for the First Amendment, and Trump gets to pose as taking on the establishment when he when he really hasn't you know done anything that really does take on the establishment in IVL. Uh, we're about uh, nine minutes out of our first twenty minute segment, and uh, again we'll have a link to that. Uh, uh, we'll have a link to that uh, tweet, and when you drill down through it, you can see uh, you've got Greenwald talking basically from what you would normally have presumed was a kind of a left wing. Uh, and you've got Eli Lake from, uh, d- just take a look at some of Eli Lake's comments. It, uh, it obviously not from a left wing position. Uh, so once again, it's, it's a strange, it's strange to see how the sides are coming down on this. Uh, and then when you did your article for consortium, um, that that too was you're, you're taking a look at it about how the progressives, the progressive wing of the left wing, is coming down on Flynn. Uh, can you can you kind of talk more about what was in that article? And we will have the link to the article. Um, sure. Well, I mean, even um, before Flynn, you know, got knocked out, a lot of so-called progressives were hammering away at the whole. Russia um, angle. It, it, I mean, it was a mantra of the Clinton campaign. Um, 
end, I think, was very, you know, destructive. Uh, you know, you know, uh, Trump was talking about jobs, and Clinton was talking about Russia, and you know, guess who won the Rust Belt states? <laughs> um, um, and so, you, you know, you've had you know people like Maxine Waters talk about you know impeaching Trump for alleged ties to Russia. Um, I think that there may well be a strong case for impeaching Trump, but it has to do with the emoluments clause um, um, and not with, you know, perhaps wanting to make, you know, peace with Russia, um, which I can also have. Can, can, you amplify, can you amplify what the emoluments clause actually is? Because I think there's a lot of people are... Uh, they've heard the word, but I'm not sure they really understand what's what's being talked about there. Well, it's basically what's being talked about there, and you know, this this wasn't the focus of my my article at all. Um, uh, is that um, that there are restrictions on what compensation the president can take, and that he can't take any title or any kind of compensation um, either from there are two emoluments clause, one domestic and one um, foreign, um, uh, and they both um, basically say that the president, and I think one of them covers other people, but one of them is specific to the president, can't take emoluments, which is basically a word for um, uh, gifts or sweetheart deals or titles or anything like that. Um, other than the presidency itself. And so um, I think that there are some serious legal scholars um, who have attempted to put forward this case and, you know, uh, they'd set up a webpage, impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org, um, and I think that there is, you know, substance to that. I think that that's very distinct from... Um, although, frankly, I have mixed feelings about the prospect of impeaching Donald Trump for political reasons, and we can get into that if you like. Um, but I think that that's very different than the case that people are saying, oh, you know, he colluded with Russia to undermine the election, and therefore um, he should be impeached. There's, you know, uh, I mean, the establishment media can work themselves up you know, to a frenzy with something and establish conventional wisdom all without the benefit of actual evidence um, about something. And it, um, it seems to be the case. I don't think that it's impossible that something like that happened, but I have not, I don't think anybody has seen um, meaningful evidence. Um, the, uh, uh, the, yeah. whole, the whole fake news thing, uh, which is, has brought us closer to our very own Orwellian Ministry of Truth. Um, right. Uh, that's right. all based on on the assumption, based on innuendo. I've seen no evidence that the Russians hacked the elections. I have seen evidence that the NSA was hacking into some of the state Secretary of States. Um, did did uh, well, what, what, it seems to be I mean, evidence free? Go ahead. Right. I mean, that's, 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 there are so many ironies of this, and I really haven't drilled into this. I mean, the mantra is the Russians have dirt on Trump and his people, and therefore he's subjected to, he's vulnerable to blackmail. Right. And that's why we, we got to deal with this. Well, let's think of what just happened here. Flynn apparently got recorded by the NSA or some other apparatus of the U.S. so-called intelligence community and as a result of them saying, hey, he lied, he was forced to resign. So who's the one who's potentially blackmailing people? The one potentially blackmailing people here is some part of the U.S. government that is recording people's conversations, private conversations, and then exposing them or threatening to expose them if they apparently lie about those conversations. Now, I think that's a really dangerous thing. I have no love lost for Flynn, 
But basically, you're saying that you're saying that the NSA can, you know, expose anybody's lies um, and get away with it, um, and, and they operate in total secret. And you know, the fact of the matter is that virtually everybody lies about something. But the NSA gets to pick and choose who gets exposed. So it basically can make or break careers. It gets to vote anybody off the island that they want based on God knows what criteria. Have we actually seen what it is that that Flynn was supposed to have done? If we have, I've missed it. We've heard heard what they say was said. Right. Um, they, it, what they, they say was said and what he seemed to um, admit to in his resignation letter, but we have not seen the actual evidence. Again, um, <laughs> which also right. fits with the, uh, let's, the, the hacking of the elections, which uh, no right. evidence. Um, right. what, uh, we've, we've only got like four minutes in this section. Um, do you, there seems to be a trend here that people don't need evidence anymore. What happened to to having to have some kind of evidence in your reporting? And is this right. reporting is something we want right. to get? Um, and we yeah. will be kind of amplifying that in a little bit. Yeah, no, I, th- I think what 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 passes for reporting now is, oh my God, look at Trump's tweet. It's wrong for this reason. Oh, he claimed that he got this many electoral votes. He didn't. Um, you know, he's, he's wildly exaggerating that. Aren't we really great fact-checkers? Um, and, um, yeah, I'm sure Trump lies about stuff like that and <laughs> other things. And he would but be the first politician in history that, that got caught lying. Right. You know, and, again, I'm not defending lying. I'm just saying that seems to be... Uh, they, right. People with the shock yeah. that a politician is lying. Um, right. I don't and, get it. And, and and like you said, the progressives, um, in in that article, you were the, the main upshot of your, the gist of it was in this last three minutes. Uh, what do we need to be aware about? Uh, 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 to kind of amplify one more time what you were saying with that article, if you would. Well. Yeah, sure. I mean, what was funny was um, about a month ago, Chuck Schumer, sort of lead Democrat in the Senate, um, said that Trump, who was then picking up a fight with the CIA, apparently on Twitter, um, and Schumer said, it's really dumb to attack the intelligence agencies. He said, quote, let me tell you, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday of getting back at you. Well, that, that seems to be what actually happened. And that's not an um, acceptable scenario that the, the so-called intelligence community can decide to take down the National Security Advisor or any other um, major figure they, you know, by threatening to leak their private conversations. Um, you know, and, and what else is going on here? Meanwhile, the agenda between Trump and the establishment is going through just fine. Steve Mnuchin uh, from the good folks at Goldman Sachs was just confirmed uh, Treasury Secretary as the um, uh, story was breaking. So that got minimal scrutiny. So you've had Goldman Sachs basically running Treasury for all of these years, whether it's, uh, you know, hope and change Democrat in the person of Obama or a so-called anti-establishment Republican and the person of Trump. And it's the same people running running the show. So what, what we have here is kind of a spectacle that's going on, and it, it, it's, it's very personalized, but it's, it's not focusing on policy. Um, and, uh, and I think that that disengages the public from what's really going on. They're tuning out. They don't want to hear about the squabbles between the media and Trump about Russia. They want to hear about peace and having a decent economy and uh, and, and, and actually taking on Washington. And that's not what's really happening. 
that uh, kind of segues us into our uh, second 20 minutes. Uh, and I'd put out a tweet that said, constitutional government is not just a preference, it's the supreme law of the land. And then there were two, two tweets that that was based on, again, back to the left wing, right wing, and put those in quotes, uh, the, the so-called left wing, so-called right wing. Uh, the first one of those was uh, Bill Crystal, another neocon, possibly a neocon's neocon. Uh, right. His tweet was, obviously strongly prefer normal democratic and constitutional politics, but if it comes to it, I prefer the deep state to the Trump state. <laughs> you know, it's really great to have Bill Crystal around because he actually, like, says what a lot of people do. <laughs> uh, uh, on the other side of that, it's kind of like uh, the old joke about being pregnant. You can't be just kind of pregnant or a little bit sure. pregnant. It's kind sure. of a binary solution set. So either you are supporting constitutional government or you're not. And that, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I don't want to use the, the word that starts with a T here because it's overused. But that's a coup to me. I mean, as, as a person who studied history, I really am shocked to hear somebody saying that they're even considering uh, any option other than constitutional government. Uh, and he's not alone in that. Uh, on the other side, the supposed left wing, Senator Harry Reid, uh, his quote, and again, the link will be up. Uh, this was, I think, during the Democratic National Convention sometime during it. But he's quoted, and you can hear him say it, he's saying, give Trump fake CIA intel briefings. Um, again, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. say the T word here, but uh, you can't do that. That's, that's, that's not how this system is supposed to work. So that was kind of what I was talking about there. Did you have any thoughts on that? And, and again, we'll have the link there so people can hear it. But I find that sure. shocking. And I, I think you're totally spot on. I think both of those things are really, you know, catching, you know, catching them in the act of totally undermining, um, you know, constitutional government and any pretense of um, meaningful democracy, democratic participation, civilian control over the military, and so on. Um, um, you know, and, and that you do have it from the establishment on, you know, quote-unquote both sides. Um, people who are so-called, you know, Republican conservatives and neocons and on the other side, alleged liberals. So, um, you know, um, I, I think that they end up colluding on a lot of things. Um, um, intervention you know, um, in terms of, you know, intervening in various Middle Eastern countries, um, ratcheting up tensions with Russia. Um, I mean, there are, you know, policy agreements here as well that, that have eroded the Constitution in a whole series of ways, right? I mean, you know, the War Powers Clause of the Constitution it has been totally disregarded, and the War Powers Act has been totally disregarded uh, for many decades now. Um, um, the civil liberties ramifications of having, you know, basically a surveillance state has utterly eroded what should be obvious civil liberties um, imperatives um, that are necessary for a free and functioning democratic society. Um, so um, I think that there has been collusion. Uh, you know, I, I think you're, you're seeing it, you know, really come to the fore and escalate here, but it's been there. Um, uh, these um, authoritarian tendencies, um, um, uh, you know, that, that, you know, have war making at the heart of them, but that also impinge on civil liberties and, you know, coalesce around having 
you know, the, the, the system of government that colludes with military contractors and um, Wall Street and so on that, you know, severely erodes the place of the individual and, and the place of meaningful communities in the society. Um, Let's go with the, can we, can we <clears throat> just go with the theoretical of, uh, sure. of, of Mr. Reed's comment that he's on tape saying, what right. if Trump is receiving fake intelligence? What if the commander-in-chief of the military is running on fake intelligence? Uh, and, and, and that's a serious just on the off chance that Reed wasn't just talking out his hat, um, right. what are the ramifications of that? Um, well, I mean, it's hard to know what the correlation is between, you know, that that, that advocacy and, um, you know, you know what what actually happens. But I, I think that this may and well end up segueing into a massive blame game if and when there's another. Um, major terrorist attack on the United States. Um, you know, Trump has already, um, you know, you know, kind of fingered the possibility of the judges uh, who are striking down his um, uh, immigration restrictions from predominantly Muslim countries as being the culprit. Um, and um, the you know so-called critics of Trump are you know blaming him personally for for everything, and I fear what gets left out of the equation is actually looking at U.S. policy around the world in the Middle East in particular, um, how this fuels resentment and anger, and you know undermines meaningful dialogue in order to. Um, get ourselves out of, you know, the, the cycle of perpetual war. Um, so um, I, I, I sort of, you know, when, when Reed says something like that, other than it being utterly repugnant and incredibly dangerous, I, I feel like it, you know, it sucks into the whole blame game that's sort of, I think, at the subtext of a lot of, you know, what, what's happening here. Right. I mean, Trump very effectively during the campaign, you know, really hammered away at Jeb Bush, if you remember, um, you know, nine, you know, talking about his brother, George W. Bush, and he didn't keep us safe. 9-11 happened on his watch. He didn't keep us safe. Um, and um, he was, Trump was perfectly accurate in saying that. Um, but I think that, that, that everybody's positioning themselves to a blame game of what happens if and when there's another attack. There's a there's another side to the blame game here too. As a reporter, um, uh -huh. I'm I'm trying to maintain some kind of a fact based uh, analysis of what's going on, and so. Uh -huh. I, I keep thinking back to one of those old TV westerns like Gunsmoke. Uh, yeah, I'm that old. Uh, but I've, I've got this mental image of the scene where the mob is forming up out in the street and Marshall Dillon has to pull down the shotgun and and he's he's going to defend the jail from, from uh, lynching. And uh, you don't hear Marshall Dillon being accused of being biased. He's He's not defending the murderer in the cell he's defending the law and and again it seems to be uh, very difficult to defend the concept it's almost like left wing right wing is is what we've trained the paradigm we've been trained to think in terms of but there seems to be a left wing a right wing and a third party which is uh, they're calling it the deep state or uh, the intelligence community there's, it's got a million different names. A historian named Anthony Sutton, superb historian, he calls it the money power. Um, any thoughts on that? How do we, how do we as reporters try to work our way through the minefield of well, you're just defending Trump, 
Well, um, no. <laughs> I, I took an oath to the Constitution. I am defending the Constitution. Um, any thoughts on that? Sure. Well, I mean, I think that so often the, you know, the establishment wings of both the Democratic and Republican parties, you know, in, in effect coalesce around and help define the, the what the establishment and very often what the deep state um, wants in terms of U.S. policy. Um, uh, it's related to what Eisenhower warned us about the military-industrial complex um, uh, that now, you know, includes the so-called intelligence community. Um, and um, uh, the establishment media um, but I, I do think that and Trump seems to be challenging that in some ways. Um, uh, but I also think that sometimes, I mean, like in his interview with O'Reilly, you know, uh, O'Reilly is like, you know, why, why are you dealing with Putin? He's, you know, he, he, he kills people. And Trump is like, yeah, we kill people. <laughs> You know, uh, and, and, and was castigated for it. Like that was exactly, the shock. Exactly. Uh, and and everybody, you know, uh, through you know, well, a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans are, uh, and much of the punditocracy is appalled by this. And I'm like, <laughs> I like that word. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, um, and, and, and in a way, to me, that gives, you know, that that helps Trump's legitimacy. Because I think the general public, to the extent that they're paying attention to this, are like, okay, well, somebody, somebody's saying something resembling the truth, and right. it looks like it's Trump, and they're, you know, the, the establishment media are going to go on for a week about how he, you know, exaggerated his electoral win or some other trivia, but he's telling the truth about a lot of big things that nobody tells the truth about. But of course, he tells the truth in a way that sort of helps let. Putin off the hook in terms of killing people. I mean, Trump isn't saying, yeah, we kill people and we got to figure out how we and Putin can stop killing people, right? Trump's not saying that from the sound of it. Um, but I think that, that would be the meaningful critique of Trump, you know? I mean, how many, I mean, we, he, he just killed uh, a whole bunch of people in Afghanistan for the first was time. Was that 18 the other day. today or? There's so many yeah. of them, it's really, uh, right. it's hard to keep yeah. track. And, and are they telling us the truth? Uh, that's, that's the problem with that one is, are these real sure. numbers? Are these real facts? Is this fake intel, like Senator Reid is saying? Um, right, you, but you, I mean, you the, did an article. The history, Go ahead. the history has been that they lowball that kind of thing, and then you know, it comes out. Yeah, that, know, that, like, that was like, where like I was about to segue here was... Uh-huh. You, you had an article for Consortium News, uh, Catherine Gunn's Risky Truth-Telling. And again, yes. it's not just left-wing versus right-wing. It's no. You can make a very good case. It's tripartite, that it's left-wing, right-wing, and the intel agency. Uh, can you really kind of give us about a five-minute, who was Catherine Gunn? Because I'd forgotten about her until I read that yeah. article. No, she's such an important figure, and, you know, especially with all of the Snowden stuff, um, mm-hmm. and, and I would criticize people who've reported on the Snowden stuff, uh, like Glenn Greenwald and people like that. They've ignored noting her story, which is such an important one. What happened with her is that um, during the buildup of the Iraq War, um, when uh, George W. Bush was saying, you know, we're going the last mile for peace. We're trying to avoid war and all of this. Um, she worked for the British equivalent of the NSA. Uh, the, the spies, or, you know, they, they intercept communications and so on. And she got a memo from the NSA, their partner in crime, saying we got to, you know, step up our spying against um, UN consulates to uh, so that we can pressure these other countries to go along with our votes to get approval for the Iraq war, meaning they want to get dirt on diplomats from all of these countries that sit on the Security Council, permanent and temporary members, so that they can push them to rubber stamping um, the, uh, a vote on the Iraq war. Well, 
she got this memo. It's a very short memo. It was like 300 words or something. Um, uh, she eventually got it leaked in a British publication, The Observer. They published it. And um, it was very little reported of that in the United States, but it got reported in all those other countries. Uh, Chile was on the Security Council, or I think Nigeria. Um, you know, you got 15 countries on the Security Council. And the U.S., as a result of that in large part, couldn't get that second Security Council resolution through. The U.S. had promised that they wouldn't do the Iraq war without a second U.N. Security Council resolution. There was one warning Iraq not to violate, but there was supposed to be a second one, which would say, okay, you violated. Well, that second one never happened. Um, George Bush started the Iraq war by saying, this is taking too long. Saddam's got to get out of Iraq in 48 hours. You know, he just totally disregarded any semblance of international law. And that was largely because this young, she was 28, I think, at the time. Uh, she was a British, you know, a translator. She, she was a Mandarin translator. She, you know, you know she's a linguist. Um, uh, and um, she, she disclosed the, that, that document. Uh, they found her out. That ended up ending her career. They were going to prosecute her. Uh, because England has an official secrets act, um, unlike the United States, although we're starting to act like we do have an official secrets act. Mm-hmm. Um, this was obviously whistleblowing. You know, she you know disclosed the actual text of something that showed not lying from some selected person, but at the highest levels of U.S. government policy, um, and it ended her career, obviously. Um, but it really put an impediment onto the uh, uh, onto the movement forward to the uh, to the Iraq War, and you know, I mean, it just showed the nefar- You know, that the mantra is we got to spy on your communication to protect you, right? We we got we got to spy. We got to find the bad. We got to find the bad guys. That's that's why we got to listen to everybody's phone calls. No, mm-hmm. here's an critical situation where they were revealed. They're spying on people and listening on everybody's phone calls so that they can manipulate things, so that they can start a war that they know they don't have to start. They're putting everybody in danger by doing this kind of thing. Which brings Um, us back to the the quote, well, obviously I'd prefer constitutional government, but dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. We just don't have time in that case with what you follow with the lift. Uh, there was one sentence in that article that really jumped off the page. Uh, those whistleblowers have been punished. Snowden is in exile. Uh, Lord knows what's happened to this woman. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, Chelsea Manning is just now going to get out of jail, hopefully, in another month or two. But yeah, right. who was prosecuted for what you mentioned, quote, NSA and GCHQ were spying to try to facilitate an aggressive war the highest war crime under the Nuremberg statutes. We hang, we hung people, literally right. we hung people for violating right. those statutes. Um, what kind of a system of justice uh, is, is anybody raising that point? I don't even see it being brought up. I was shocked right. that I had forgotten who this woman was. Uh, that, that again was what was truly shocking to me was I'd forgotten who she was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's a critical story. You know, it, it sort of got you know put down the memory hole. Um, you know, uh, people don't turn to her for analysis. I mean, she's safe and sound, um, but like I say, her you know career was ended. Um, but but um, it, it's tragic that that story hasn't been brought out. And your broader point that you know the U.S wages these aggressive wars, which, you know, frequently along with the UK and, and other traditional colonial powers, um, and um, they get away with it. Uh, you there know, was another. Not, uh, Go ahead. It, it's not, you know, uh, it, it's not, you know, hitting a target that you shouldn't hit or something like that. Those are, you know, sort of 
localized war crimes. It's the highest war crime initiating yes. a war yeah. of aggression. Um, yes. and, and, that's, and that's critical. And the fact that the U.S. system totally let everybody off the hook um, from uh, Bush and Cheney on down. Um, oh, to this day. It's, it's yeah, farcical. How, you know, how many and, of these places? Uh, there is no constitutional declaration of war. It's just correct. some nebulous continuation of funding, which I don't see correct. in the Constitution. Again, back to the paradigm of not just left versus right, but intel versus left and right, the, the American people, the world's people. There was a response to your tweet where uh, a guy said, original NSA whistleblower, I saw the order to wiretap Barack Obama in 2004, and he had right. a link to Business Insider. I'd forgotten about that, but once again, we've got somebody who's wiretapped, a man who later becomes the president of the United States. Um, what are the blackmail potentials of that? And that's something Correct. we kind of touched on. Um, that was Russ off Tice. Page. Okay. That was Russ Tice, was, who was sort of the original NSA whistleblower. Um, the, the, the issue with Russ Tice that some people have is that he did he didn't come forward with any documents. You know, he, he, you know, it was his say-so, and it was, you know, hard to corroborate stuff. But he did come forward, and to my knowledge, everything that he said, nothing has contradicted the documents that have come out. So I, I think that he's somebody that really should be listened to a lot more than he has been. Is he still alive? And once again, yeah. I didn't know who he was, and I yeah. find that shocking. Yeah. Um, there was a, a quote that jumped off of the page on that article. In the summer of 2004, one of the papers I held in my hand was a wiretap of a bunch of numbers associated with a 40-some-odd-year-old senator from Illinois. I just mangled that quote, sorry. Uh, you wouldn't happen to know where that guy lives now. It's a big White House in Washington, D.C. So, again, we're, we're talking about possible, possible blackmail by the Russians where we're looking at the history book is showing We've got our own intelligence agencies that are blackmailing politicians. Uh, and a third category on intel being used to start a war, not to stop a war. Uh, Room 40, this was new to me. Uh, Room 40, British Naval Intelligence, all the way back in World War I, uh, sink Lusitania. They knew where the submarine, it's been declassified now. But they knew where the Lusitania was, and they knew where the submarine that ended up sinking the Lusitania was. Um, and there will be a quote to it. Again, pattern here is uh, intel versus constitutional government. Um, yeah. I mean, and obviously there's a huge case in, in terms of the, um, you know, the weapons of mass destruction in the whole Iraq War. And... Um, you know, well, I, I think that that was incredibly nefarious, um, and parts of it were were actually planned. You know, um, it's, there's this, you know, again, this bogus left-right debate about torture. Does torture work? Um, people ignore how torture is used to collect false evidence. That seems like a contradiction, but it's not. Um, you, you uh, for example, the, the, uh, they, they tortured one guy, um, the Egyptians, on our behalf, um, called El Libby, into saying that Iraq was colluding with Al Qaeda. Now, what does that mean? That that means that they tortured him into saying something that was false but useful, so that then Colin Powell could go before the Security Council and say, we have evidence that Iraq is working with Al-Qaeda. It doesn't have to be true to be useful. So when people say torture doesn't work, they're not really being forthright. It does work to produce false but useful information. So, you, you, you know, I mean, th 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 that's a way of, you know, fabricating evidence so that you can facilitate war. Um, and so we see a pattern of this happening, whether it's Gulf of Tonkin and Vietnam or, or um, you know, 
what happened with the Iraq WMDs. We've got about 15 minutes left total in the show, and you had a tweet out today that was fascinating, um, and, and it brings us back to it's. Uh, you can make a pretty good case for uh, the the media is colluding with the intelligence agencies, and that's there's a historic evidence behind this. Uh, you made the observation today. Uh, Greenwald, it was kind of shocked that there was left-wing, once again, back to that false left-wing, right-wing paradigm. Um, you made the observation that the CNN original, uh, I guess that was the show that kind of started Point Counterpoint, uh, and you mentioned the name. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. Uh, Tom Brayton? Yes, yes. Yeah, and then, then when you said that, that rang a bell. And once again, I was shocked that I'd forgotten who that guy was. Uh, but but he goes back to uh, Tom Braden is an interesting character. Um, your comment was that the, the from the left host was of Crossfire was Braden. You also mentioned uh, Gloria Steinem worked for CIA. Uh, Braden played an important role informally establishing the campaign that became Operation Mockingbird. And a lot of people are now beginning to be familiar with Operation Mockingbird was to co-opt the media to do what the intelligence agencies wanted out there. Um, only got a few minutes, but can you kind of talk about that? Um, I'd rather, I'm not an expert on, on Mockingbird. If you want to go into that, that's fine. Yeah, I, I, just the, the whole concept that, that that there was this fake shock that the left wing would be embracing the media that, that yeah. you were responding to about Greenberg, Green, Greenwald, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, um, I mean, Greenwald that, was that saying was that, it. yeah, I mean, he was saying how, you know, incredible it was that, you know, uh, progressives were saying all of these great things about the CIA, but those, from my point of view, they're so... Um, overwhelmed by Trump hatred that they can't seem to see straight. Um, um, uh, but, you know, I, I'm pointing out that, well, this is a long-standing thing. Um, uh, a lot of the so-called liberals or progressives or the left have frequently been uh, become accessories to um, uh, uh, the, the intelligence community. It's Gloria Steinem or the so-called left on crossfire. Um, and, you know, I mean, let's not forget, I mean, look, I mean, uh, Johnson is the one who escalated the Vietnam War, you know, the great liberal, you know, the great society. Um, you know, um, th 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 there's a pattern of um, aggressive war being, used, you know, being waged by, you know, the Bushes on Iraq and but also by Democrats um, um, in Vietnam and, and elsewhere. Um, so I, I think that it's ahistoric to be pretending that, uh, my gosh, you know, progressives are taking these pro-militaristic positions that they've never taken before. So progressive liberals. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, progressive they, media. That's what I was trying to say. About, about progressive media and groups and some Congress people, um, you know, um, you, you know, it, it's it, it's it's happened. I mean, some some have scrutinized uh, U.S. militarism, um, but a, a lot of them haven't. A red herring. It's a diversion. Again, um, and and uh, there there was a movie, uh, Good Night and Good Luck the patron saint of all reporters, Edward R. Murrow. And we have to genuflect when we say that name. Um, right. But at the end of that movie, what they didn't tell us was after he loses his job at CBS, uh, he resigned from CBS to accept a position as the head of the United States Information Agency. Yeah, which yeah I didn't know that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was it, it wasn't mentioned in the movie, strangely enough. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. um, That's fascinating. So, again, there'll be a link going back to that. But, uh, again, the, the f a historic is an excellent word. 
that, that people are just not looking at the history of, but this is not new. This is, we've seen all of this. We should be aware of all this. And I guess that's what brings us down to our last few minutes. Uh, what is accuracy.org? What are you trying to do to try to get past the fact-free environment that reporting seems to have fallen into? Sure. Well, we put out news releases um, virtually every weekday, um, you know, featuring um, one or two analysts um, on a given topic. Sometimes that's domestic economy. Sometimes it's foreign policy. We try to puncture myths as they're going through the media. Um, in real time or get a, getting other critical information um, uh, out there and providing you know guests for talk shows and um, uh, uh, so on you know just going back to whatever issues of international law raising critical questions did the intelligence community take out Flynn um, sometimes we scrutinize um, non-governmental organizations as well. Amnesty International, um, you know, are they stoking um, uh, the Syrian war and some of their um, um, uh, what's been described as sort of one-sided um, analysis of, um, uh, of of the tragic um, Syrian war. Um, so we try to get critical information out there in a timely fashion. We, people can sign up to our email list if they like. Just go to accuracy.org and, and you can do that. We'll have that um, link. And did you guys get smeared for being a fake news site like Consortium News? No, we weren't on that list, interestingly enough. I didn't know if um, <laughs> we should we should have felt left out. Voices <laughs> uh, didn't make the list either. I, I really yeah. felt bad about that. Yeah, I wasn't sure if maybe they were afraid that we would, you know, have contacts with some good lawyers, and they, they didn't know. <laughs> like they didn't Consortium know. News didn't? I mean, this yeah, is... Yeah, no, I'm, sure, I'm sure Consortium does, but they don't have the lawyers, you know, sitting on their mastheads and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Did, so so I, I wasn't um, sure if that was the reason why. Is there um, any kind of an effort to try to get some legal action when whatever happened to libel... <laughs> yeah. I, I I know that people are looking at that, but I, I'm, I'm not on top of it, so I, I really shouldn't comment on it. But well, hopefully, yeah. maybe we can get somebody from them, uh, from from accuracy, to kind of give us some. What are our solutions to get out of this mess? How can we have a free press if we're not even talking about real facts? How can we have a free press if it's a historic? Um, that 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 seems to be the real crux of what we've been talking about with red herring here. And yeah, no, I, I, I guess... I th I th yeah, I think that, I mean, you know, efforts like yours and others, I, I think that we're seeing people realizing that we need new structures for information. That the, you know, corporate-dominated, advertising-driven that are tied to government and tied to anonymous sources and so on uh, of the establishment media are simply incapable of doing the right thing so often. So I think that we're in this chicken and egg state of trying to make some meaningful independent structures emerge. And I think right now it's a whole bunch of smaller efforts, and I think that in time they will begin to coalesce. Um, Consortium News, which did make the fake news list, which... Uh, can you give us about a quick two minutes, and there'll be a link? It's one of the things that I make a point of looking at daily sure. or whenever anything comes across. Uh, can, yeah, you, well, can you talk about Bob, uh, his sure, background, yeah. real quick? Yeah, I, actually, you know, one of the pieces that I wrote, I actually wrote for the Progressive, um, but I, Consortium News picked that piece up and regularly picks up some of my other things. Uh, it, it's, Consortium News is founded by Bob Perry, he um, originally came to prominence for breaking large portions of the Iran-Contra affair when he was with the Associated Press in the 1980s. Um, he um, also did some of the initial reporting on the um, uh, Contra cocaine story that um, um, spread some of the crack 
epidemic, um, or, or at least turned a blind eye to it, um, in Southern California that mm-hmm. Gary Webb would later build on, and the movie came out on that a couple of years ago. Um, and um, uh, Bob Perry, was he also worked at Newsweek for a while. But um, I think sometime in the early 1990s, he just, you know, launched, just went independent, basically. Um, and um, uh, uh, launched Consortium News, um, and, you know, he regularly puts out his own analysis, which I think is fabulous. Um, yes. And he regularly puts out, you know, other people. Um, some of them are former um, uh, CIA types, and some of them are, you know, independent writers like uh, like myself and, and many other really uh, really t- talented writers. Uh, Joe, Joe Leoria, who used to cover the United Nations, um, uh, is great. Um, and, you know, there are a whole bunch of others. Uh, uh, Colleen Rowley, I think, writes there frequently. She's the 9-11 whistleblower, um, uh, former FBI. Um, so there, there's a real wealth of information on consortium news. I really encourage people to look at it. As an independent reporter, I, he kind of was a pathfinder, as far as I'm concerned, with going independent so he could write what he wanted to say, not what somebody was paying him to not say. Yes. Right, um, right. Yes. Uh, I'm um, proud of him. So... I don't know how much time we have left. Could I talk about Vote Pact a little bit? Yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. We got about three minutes left, and 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 again, please give us that and kind of tie that into your final thoughts, uh, please. Cool. Something optimistic, because cool. I just want to cry every time I watch the news. Right. Well, the idea behind Vote Pact, and you know, I, I really tried to get out there during the last election, but I, I think that it's going to come around again. And basically the idea there is, you know, the establishment keeps people um, in prison, basically, by saying you got to choose your lesser evil. you got to vote for either Clinton or Trump. Um, and if you vote for a third party or Trump, because um, you got to vote for your, your lesser evil. If you hate Clinton, you got to vote for Trump, no matter how distasteful you find him, and vice versa. Um, and the idea behind Vote Pact is, um, you know, very simple but very um, uh, challenging. Um, and that's saying team up with somebody in your own life, all right? If, if you have Clinton as your lesser evil and your spouse has Trump as their lesser evil, then both pair up and vote for the third parties of your choice. Now, you've got to know and trust the other person. Um, but it's a way that you end up siphoning off your votes. Um, you know, you know, you, instead of you self-loathingly voting for Clinton and they self-loathingly voting for Trump, you both get to vote for who you actually want. And I think that this will, you know, if there's a really enterprising third-party effort out there, um, it provides them an actual path to victory. Um, because, you know, if they do it right, then they could potentially get both votes. Um, and this could be a, a method of, in effect, a, a revolutionary uh, strategy through the ballot box of people coming together um, um, instead of this constant, shallow, partisan, personalized bickering that doesn't actually solve most of, much of anything. And I think that people have a real hunger. You know, Obama won on the promise of hope and change, and we're really going to change, you know, we're really going to fix things, we're, we're going to really turn the country around. And he didn't meaningfully deliver in so many ways. And Trump was talking about, you know, taking on the establishment and so on, and he's putting a you know, the same Goldman Sachs people in charge and, you know, a bunch of billionaires. You know, you know he's ruffled a lot of feathers, but is it really going to change policy for the better for the bulk of the American people and for the world? So I, I think that 
the, the, these sort of you know people who pose get into office, and I think what needs to happen is the people instead of unfriending that person that you disagree with politically, actually finding a way to talk to them and even strategize with them, and even them becoming your political salvation because you can. Instead of them being your enemy, they can be your vote buddy. And they can be the method by which you can emancipate your vote and help them emancipate their vote instead of you being a prisoner to the establishment party that you merely dislike instead of hate. We have to find a way out of the perpetual hate. And that's real meaningful dialogue, um, understanding and actual action. 